Joel part 5. We're in Joel 2, verse 15. Joel 2, verse 15. And I may break this. I don't know. We'll see how fast we get through it. I may break this, and this may be a short night because there's a deep section coming. <laughs> Joel 2, verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and let the bride and the bride out of her closet. So lock that bride up in a closet. <laughs> that way you're sure that she'll marry you. <laughs> you said yes, get in that closet. <laughs> Verse 17. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Okay, there's obviously more than one interpretation to the passage. You can spiritualize the passage, but you can spiritualize anything in the whole Bible. And you should, to get an application for yourself. But there is a practical, a, a historical explanation for it, as well as a prophetic. He says in verse 16, to gather the people. Okay, well you can put a, a, a spiritual application on there uh, saying it's a reference to the church. We're a gathering together. A called out assembly, that's what the church means. But that's stretching it. <laughs> that's not what he's talking about. In this passage, what he's talking about is Israel, the congregation. That's who he means. Um, and then he says, sanctify the congregation. Okay, that's not something I do on Sunday morning. I don't sanctify you. You come in sanctified or not, that's up to you and God. <laughs> I can't do that. Uh, the local church should be an assembly of sanctified people. That's true, but rarely is it. <laughs> I mean, rarely uh, could we say we're sanctified. I mean, we should be in some degree, but there's always more that needs to be claimed. Um, the congregation, that little congregation of Israel, that phrase is used 300 times in the Bible. Uh, 46 times in Exodus, 49 times in Leviticus, 112 times in Numbers. And then it drops in volume. Of course, it's talking about Israel, the nation. That's who he's referring to. He talked about assemble the elders. Okay, in the New Testament, there are ordained overseers. There's bishops. They're not, uh, you could say elders, but that's not what he's referring to in this passage. There wasn't any church-age church back then. <laughs> there was an Old Testament system in place, and there were Old Testament elders. Um, <clears throat> any size congregation has got to have some helpers. I mean, that's just practical. Um, and in the Old Testament, God ordained there to be 70, 70 elders. So you figure out how many people you thought that Moses had, probably about 2 million, maybe, maybe a little less. And he had 70 helpers. I'd say that's not many. <laughs> and so that's how many deacons you need. <laughs> and uh, in the tribulation, the number is 
two. Moses and Elijah. Now, you can disagree with that if you want, but two witnesses, I'll say it that way. Two witnesses. Then the number changes to 144,000. And those are the leaders. Um, spiritual application in our passage in verse 16, he says, Gather the children. Now, you're all sort of, you could say, because you're the sons of God, you're, you're children of the... Eh, that's pushing it. I mean, you can stretch it. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about children, as in Israel, the children of God. That's why early on in the Gospels, Jesus always refers to them as... He, he talks about our God, our Father. Well, nobody was saved there. He hadn't died on the cross. So how could it be their God? Because the nation Israel had a God, and it was God Jehovah. The word uh, children of Israel is used 594 times in the Old Testament. I'll show you the last time it's used, Revelation 21.12. Revelation 21.12. Here's how important, when he's talking about children, that it's a reference to Israel is, it even stretches out into the millennium and eternity. Here he's referring to New Jerusalem. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gate twelve angels, and names written thereon are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, not, not church age, children of Israel. This is a Jewish book. We get in as the fine print on the contract. I mean, we shouldn't be here, but it's a good thing we are, and we got the best deal out of it. He says the other thing in that passage in verse 16, he says, and the bride out of her closet. Now, we know we're the bride of Christ. But that's not the bride he's talking about. He's talking about the bride of Jehovah God. And that's Israel. It's not the church age. I don't run into a closet to hide. I don't. We're children of the day and not of the night. Okay, we should be bold. But somebody is going to have to hide that is God's bride. In the tribulation, they're going to hide at Petra. They're going to run to the closet and hide. And then when he comes back, they'll come out of that. Um, Jeremiah, look at Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. It's fairly easy, and most people realize that the church age, we're the bride of Christ, and that's easy to find in the New Testament. But most people don't realize there is a bride that started before us, Israel, in the Old Testament. And we didn't replace them. They have a different husband. Their husband is God the Father. Revelation 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. We know exactly who that is. <laughs> I, and Unless you're half crazy and want to be a replacement the, theologian, you wouldn't put yourself there. We didn't come out of Egypt. <laughs> Which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. So that's the bride that's being referred to. Uh, look at it in Isaiah 54. 
Isaiah 54, verse 5. This is not church age, and it's not referring to church age. It's talking to Israel as a nation. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. <laughs> that's who their husband is. That's the one he's talking about. They're the bride that's going to be hiding in a closet. The next thing we see in verse 17, Joel 2.17, was he said about the priests. Now, here I'm going to do something that's going to blow people's minds. It blew my mind the first time I figured it out. Um, you could say that we're kings and priests to God. And, you know, That doesn't really apply, but you can say that. Go ahead. <laughs> it doesn't really apply. Think about it. You know all about a priest from the Old Testament. What did the Levites, the priests, do? They ministered to the heathen? No. To Israel the children of God. Okay, if we're all priests and we are the children of God, who are we going to minister to as priests? <laughs> That's not what the phrasing says. The phrasing says priest unto God, not to man. And that only appears when you're in heaven. And I'll pull up the details on it in a minute. But spiritually, you'll hear a lot of people say that we're kings and priests to God. That's our eventual end. That's true. In the millennium, that's what the position will have. But right now, it's not really so. What he's referring to when he says, let the priest there, is the actual Jewish priest. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1, verse 6. Okay, here's your New Testament reference to being a priest. And it's not church age. This is tribulation. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so you're a priest unto God. That's true. You do the sacrifices he requires. Right now the sacrifice he requires is a broken and contrite spirit. That's the sacrifice he wants. There's coming a day he'll want the lambs again. He'll want them to get turtle doves and the goats and the sheep and <laughs> all that stuff they've got to sacrifice. Revelation 5. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, there again, every word is important. He could have said, has made us to be kings and priests, but he didn't say that. He said, to God, kings and priests. So the only position you are in as a priest is toward God, not toward man. Look at First Peter, see it again, First Peter 1. First Peter 1, verse 1. Now, this is one of these books that people get messed up on because it has some things that appear to be church age, but the book is not church age. The book is written to people going into the tribulation, and there's some key phrases in here you'll recognize. People do some fancy footwork to get around them and spiritualize things that shouldn't be. 
And I know that's safe to somebody you can't sit down and spend enough time to explain all the doctrine to. Then, okay, spiritualize and do your fancy footwork. But we're just talking about what it says. <laughs> Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Is Peter your apostle? He's said to be the apostle to the circumcision. That's Jewish. Okay, and who, who's he addressing this book to? To the strangers scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's Jews that are scattered, not Gentiles. Gentiles wouldn't be scattered. That's home for them. <laughs> they would just be right at home. It would be a Jew that's not at home if he's in these places. So it's directing this book to a Jewish audience. Verse 2. First word tells you where you are. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, he's not saying individuals are elect. He's saying the nation is elect. And they are. You'll find that in Romans chapter 11. Still, individuals can choose to follow or to fail. That's up to them. But as a nation, there is an elect nation of Israel that God's going to bring through that tribulation and set up to rule in the millennium. Look at uh, verse 5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, you can use that because he said it's all spiritualized. <laughs> he told you in the verse, I'm not talking literal. I'm talking spiritual, spiritual sacrifices. So there, that's, now you're safe. If you want to use that verse to say you're a priest, then go ahead. Verse 5. Oh, I didn't tell you. Chapter 2, verse 5. I switched chapters on you. <laughs> First Peter 2, verse 5. Now look down at verse 9. And we're still in chapter 2. <laughs> verse 8 or 2, 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That is not church age there. That's Exodus chapter 19. I didn't put this in my notes, but we'll find it. Exodus chapter 19. Six. Oh, I'm in 20. No wonder it looks different. <laughs> yes. Exodus 19, 6. This is how God set up the nation of Israel. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children, that's all twelve tribes, of Israel. So they are, um, their destiny is to be a holy nation and the whole nation to be priests. But it's going to take a whole lot to get there and not until the millennium does it become fulfilled. He said back in verse 17, Joel 2.17. Joel 2, verse 17. He talks about the ministers of the Lord. 
Now notice the word Lord there. It's in all caps, as you would expect in the Old Testament. But there he's talking about Jehovah God, God the Father. Not Jesus Christ, God the Father. Ministers of God the Father. And that's what they were. Now, if you want to make some sort of a spiritual application, we sort of are because we're spokespersons for God, but we don't speak um, anything they can't get on their own. We just are a repetition of what's available to everybody. (laughs) In the Old Testament, those ministers were speaking things people didn't have written down, and then it would be written when they spoke it. Um, So in a sense, we kind of are in 1 Corinthians 3, 5. Paul says this, Who then is Paul, who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? There still is not exactly like we are. The canon hadn't been completed at that point. What they were preaching was being written. In 1 Corinthians 4.1, he says, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Mysteries of God. So in a sense, you are a minister. Okay, we could spiritualize it. You could hold on to that loosely. But you know the literal is Old Testament because we're in the Old Testament. And it's picturing something way out in the future because we just saw the army that's coming down. So that's what he's referring to. Look at it in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 verse 6. But ye shall be named the priest of the Lord. Okay, we've been through priest. We understand that part. Men shall call you the ministers of our God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. So he's obviously not talking to Gentiles. You're going to eat your own riches. <laughs> uh, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. Jeremiah thirty-three twenty-one. Jeremiah thirty-three twenty-one. 21. God here is uh, confirming that he's going to have this nation of Israel ruling forever. Verse 21. Then may also my covenant be broken with David my servant, that he should uh, not have a son to reign upon his throne, and the Levites, the priests, my ministers. So he's saying... If you could break your covenant with the day, my covenant with the day and the night and get rid of the sun and the moon and not have uh, you know, time, if you're powerful enough to do that, then I'll break my covenant with David and the priest that I've already ordained to rule throughout eternity. Look at it in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 44. Ezekiel 44.10. Ezekiel 44.10 And the Levites that are gone away far from me when Israel went astray which went astray away from me after their idols they shall even bear their iniquity tribulation verse 11 yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary having charge of the gates of the house and ministering to the house they shall uh, slay the burnt offerings and the sacrifice for the people and they shall stand before them to minister unto them. Now, that has two, probably more than that, at least two implications. First one is, we do know that in the tribulation they're going to be doing that. The Levites, again, are going to be offering sacrifice. 
Because then the Antichrist comes in midway point through the tribulation and says, hey, we're not doing that anymore. I'm God. Come worship me. But that's in the temple. So they had resumed doing the Old Testament system. And we know that it will resume again in the millennium. Back to Joel. Joel 2, verse 18. Joel 2, 18. He says, Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Look at the priority there. His land is first, people are second. <laughs> that makes you feel special, doesn't it? <laughs> this land is, and this people that he's referring to here, he's talking about the restored nation of Israel and the land being restored as well. In Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32, 43. Deuteronomy 32:43 says, "Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people." So the nations ain't his people; <laughs> they're rejoicing with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants, and will render vengeance to his adversaries, and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Something special. The whole world is God's. We know that He owns it all. The earth is Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Uh, the world and they that dwell therein. So you can't move without being his property anyway. But he's got one special spot down there. It's like you go to most people's houses, they've got a special chair. Don't sit in their special chair. <laughs> God has one. It's, it's Israel, that nation over there. Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60, verse 18. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land. We know that's not been fulfilled. <laughs> Israel is nothing but turmoil from the day they began. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call the walls salvation and the gates praise. We saw the cross-reference to that in Revelation. Isaiah 60, look down at verse 21. Thy people also shall be all righteous. And we know that hadn't happened. <laughs> he's talking about the millennium, and he's talking about the nation of Israel. Something special is going to happen. Uh, let's go there real quick, because I should have put this in my notes. Man, I was pretty uh, lackadaisical when I was putting this up together. <laughs> go to Romans chapter 11. Romans 11. Yeah. Romans 11. We'll ver start at verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. They're still blinded from the righteousness that is, God, that is God's righteousness available in Jesus Christ, not the works they do. Until, that is, there's a time that's going to change. Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. That means when the church age is over, the fullness of the Gentiles. And you can figure out whatever fullness means. <laughs> Verse 26. And so, all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come 
uh, out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. They're getting salvation just as a blanket gift. They're not asking for it. They're not believing on it. They're getting it. If you endure to the end, you get it. Um, look at it in Daniel 9. Daniel 9.24. He says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, Israel, and upon the holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression. That is, tribulation has a purpose. Its purpose is for them to have been punished enough. God says, okay, we're done. We're even now. It finishes transgression. And to make an end of sins. Hmm. There's the time sin ends. For somebody, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Okay, that's when he grants them salvation. And I don't know why I got off on all that. Jeremiah, <laughs> Jeremiah chapter twenty-four. Jeremiah twenty-four six. Oh, I see why I did it. Thy people shall all be righteous. Yep. That's righteousness just dumped out. That's all those passages in Psalms where he talks about um, your... It's almost like he's given them a guarantee that their seed would be righteous and saved and all that. That's in the, in the millennium and in eternity. They'll inherit from their parents salvation. Malachi... Uh, where did I tell you? Jeremiah 24. Jeremiah 24, look at verse 6. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good and will bring them again to this land. And I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Now that would, it doesn't mean a whole lot for us right now. But if you were living through the tribulation and you came across that verse right there, that would be your new life verse. <laughs> because he's saying one day, I promise you, it's going to be all perfect and you'll be secure. The only way they can be secure is to have salvation input in them. The way he does it is he says he takes their stony heart out and he gives them a new heart. He puts his words in their head. He implants it. So there's no need for Scripture at that point. It's already in you. Uh, look at um, Malachi 3. Malachi 3, verse 12. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, an Israelite might think that now, but that's not what the verse said. <laughs> the verse says all nations will say that about you. They ain't saying that right now, and they never have. One day they will. It's got to be in the millennium. Joel, Joel chapter 2. Joel 2, verse 19. I always want to put an exclamation point behind this first word, but it's a comma. <laughs> Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, 
Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. Now, that's good. In the context, we've seen there's been drought, there's been uh, famine, they haven't even had enough that they could take to the temple to offer a sacrifice. And we saw the verse that says, who knows, maybe when he's done destroying, he'll leave behind a blessing and we can offer sacrifice. Here he's confirming it, I will. Verse 20. But I will remove far off from you the northern army. Now, we've seen God's army that we're going to be in. And we've seen the Old Testament army that will be there with us. Uh, two armies. We've seen that already. But this is something entirely different because he's going to remove this one far off from Israel. Then I will remove, then I will remove uh, far off from you the northern army and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea. And his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things, not wonderful things, but great as in large, bad, wicked things. That's the Antichrist and his army. Um, now, the fate of this army is to be laid out rotting and stinking. That's how God kills them. He kills them and says, I'm not even going to bother burying you. And you know he could. He could snap his fingers and they just disappear. But he's going to leave them there, just like they are, and he's going to feed the fowls of the air with them. That's what he says. Look at it in Ezekiel 39. Ezekiel 39, verse 4. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and thy bands and thy people that is with thee. I will give thee to, unto the ravens, uh, unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beast of the field to be devoured. Now that's Nebuchadnezzar's army, and in type he fulfilled that. But it's not going to be 100% fulfilled until God finishes what he says there in Joel. And that's when the Antichrist's army is destroyed. Look at it in verse, uh, drop down to verse 11. And it shall come to pass in, key phrase you always need to know, that day. That day, 99.9% .9 of the time when you see it, it's a reference to the advent or Armageddon. Come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog. Okay, now Gog, that should sound something in your head. You know where that is. That's at the end of the tribulation, or the end of the millennium. A place there of uh, graves in Israel and uh, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea. And it, shall stop the <laughs> and it shall stop the noses of the passengers. That is, it's going to smell so bad they're going to have to hold their nose. The Bible's plain. You wouldn't think a religious book would have this kind of stuff in it, disgusting stuff. <laughs> that army's going to be smelling so bad you're going to have to hold your nose. <laughs> but that's God. He's just, he's talking to us like we understand. You don't have to get some theology degree. <laughs> Verse 12. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them, that they may cleanse the land. 
That's how long it's going to take them to clean up after God's destroyed this army. That's a whole lot of burying. Verse 13. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renowned the day that I will be glorified, saith the Lord God. And they shall uh, sever out uh, out men of continual employment, passing through the land to bury the passengers, those that remain upon the face of the earth, to cleanse it. He's saying continual employment, that is, that's a a guaranteed job. There's not going to be a need for a welfare line. If you need a job, we got one burying people. Come on, we got more work than we can handle. (laughs) Um, And after seven months, they shall search. Okay, so forth, so on. You can go down through that, read the whole passage. It's all about that. This army that he's chased away, the northern army is what it's called. I like it that he called it the northern army because that starts to make sense to me. Because wasn't that the devil's whole plan to begin with? I'll exalt my throne above, 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 above. That's north. That's where he wants to go. And God says that northern army, that's how he's calling it, I'm going to destroy. Look at Jeremiah 1. Nebuchadnezzar gets beat up in similar fashion. However, he doesn't get the full force of what's coming. Uh, Jeremiah 1, verse 14. Then the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon the inhabitants of the land. The land, of course, is talking about Israel. The north, in this case, it's Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 15. For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord. So there's a coalition. He's going to gather multiple nations together. And they shall come, and they shall set everyone his throne at the entering of the gate of Jerusalem. That is, they're so cocky they're going to win, they're just going to bring their thrones down and set them right outside the gate. I can't wait till I get in and set this up. (laughs) And against the walls thereof round about, and against all the cities of Judah. So it's all against Israel and a particular city in Israel, Jerusalem. That's all a picture, a foreshadowing of something that is to come. And it's Revelation 19. Revelation 19, and for time's sake we'll pick it up, verse 18. This is when God destroys the Antichrist's army. Revelation 19, 18. He's called the birds together. You know, you can... I haven't seen it in a while, but... The public parks, people, you find these crazy people who are bird people, you know, like cat people, <laughs> bird people that love to go out there and feed the birds. And they'll throw food for them. And just swarms of birds come in and get them a free meal. That's what God's going to do one day. And the food he's going to feed them is the Antichrist's army. Look at it, verse 18, Revelation 19:18. That ye may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses. They're going to be on horseback. Tanks aren't going to be any good. And of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies, gathered together to make war against him that sat on uh, the horse, and against his army. So there's Armageddon. Um, So forth, so on. Drop down to verse 21. 
and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That's how he does it. That's Armageddon. He destroys them. Um, he's got a special weapon. It's the one we hold in our hand right here, the sword of the Lord. <laughs> and it comes right out of his mouth because it's his words, and he just cuts them down. Joel, Joel chapter 2. Joel 2, verse 21. This is some scary stuff we're reading. Now, for us, it's not scary because we don't have to worry about being on the wrong side of it. <laughs> we know we're going to be on the right side of it. For Israel, it's scary. And look at the reassurance he gives them. Over and over, we see God reassuring people who will turn to him. We saw earlier, he was talking all this... Uh, horrible stuff and he says but God's gracious and slow to anger <laughs> look at it, he does the same thing here verse 21 fear not O land rejoice for the Lord will do great things be not afraid ye beast of the field for the pasture of the wilderness do spring for the tree beareth her fruit the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength be glad ye children of Zion and rejoice in the Lord your God for he has given you the former rain moderately and will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Now what is um, rain? It's water that falls from the sky. That's not hard to understand, is it? <laughs> That's important because a lot of people will make this a spiritual application. I don't think we've got time to get into it. We'll probably pick it up there, but you can think about it. When you read Acts chapter 2, verse 38, you're going to find that they try to say, because he says, well, you had to back up Acts 2, probably about 17 right in there. He starts talking about a prophecy from Joel. And so they say, oh, okay, well, that he talked about a former and latter rain, and so that former rain must be the Holy Ghost coming down. So if you get baptized with the Holy Ghost, that's a former rain. The latter rain is another time that there's an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Okay. Unless the Bible gives you a good reason to make a spiritual application, don't make a spiritual application the literal application. You can always make a spiritual application, but always also look for the literal. The literal application in this passage right here has nothing to do with the Spirit being poured out. It's rain that comes down. There's a former rain and a latter rain, and he says, I'm going to dump them both in the same month. And I don't have time to go through it. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up there next week. That's a heavy subject. Yes, it's promised. It's actually the um, for the harvest. Right. Yes. Yes. Literal rain. Mm -hmm. If they'll do right, he'll be sure that he sends them the former rain. That'll soften the field so they can plant. The latter rain in order to get the harvest that they need. Now, if they don't act right, then he won't send them that rain and the crops won't come through. And he's telling them that your job is going to be agriculture. To feed yourself, you don't have to go plant something. You know, like America used to do. Now we go do our picking at Walmart. <laughs> but there he's saying, I control it. And if you were a farmer, I think farmers have, um, 
have a keen awareness of God. They must. Because nobody can predict how your harvest is going to turn out. And you need God to stop rain or to start rain or all that stuff. In Joel 2, verse 21. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit. The fig tree and the vine do yield their seed. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord, uh, the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. That has to be rain because he called it rain. <laughs> and he says it's going to come down in one month. So we know that there's a timing, and it's coming down, a former rain and a latter one, and it's water. Now it happens within the first month. You remember the uh, planting season was dictated by the, the rain. God says that was one of the curses. He wouldn't give them rain if they weren't acting right. And if they would act right, then they would have the rain and that would produce the crops they needed. Well, in this book, we've already seen that was the problem from the beginning. They were having a drought. The locusts had come in and ate it all up and there wasn't anything on the trees. They couldn't take an offering to the temple. They didn't have anything to take. Uh, so now he's saying, one day it's coming and I'm going to give you both of them in one month. Um, of course, it does not have to do with what you'll hear. You'll hear this idea that the former rain and the latter rain has to do with God pouring out the Holy Spirit. And if you're around any charismatics, this is one of their favorite things to say. Um, and it has to be some sort of a, um, you know, production. God's going to, you know, they're big on the, Almost like a Jew, they want the signs and the, the miracles. He's going to pour out his spirit. Um, okay, now that verse is going to show up here where God talks about pouring out his spirit. But nowhere in that verse does it say anything about spirit. It's talking about pouring out rain <laughs> on, the, on the ground. Look at uh, verse 22. Be not afraid, ye beast of the field. For the pasture of the wilderness do spring, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree, the vine do yield their strength. Okay, we know he's talking about water because these things that require water to live are coming back to life. This is a great thing. Look at verse 24. And the floor shall be full of wheat, they brought the harvest in. And the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. Grapes are producing and the olives are producing. It's just the reverse of what it had been at the beginning of our book. This is something physical. It's not something spiritual. When he switches to something spiritual, he'll make it obvious. Um, Joel, look at verse 27. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. That's not me. That's not our church. And that's not the church age. So that's Israel. Okay? He's going to be in the midst of Israel when this happens. And that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. Okay, I'm not Israel. I, the church doesn't replace Israel. Israel's always Israel. Amen. Right now, I wouldn't want to be Israel anyway. 
<laughs> they get a few goodies, but I've got way better goodies. <laughs> I mean, in my opinion. Now, they might think otherwise, but I think I've got the best deal of it. I don't want to replace them. I'm going to let them stay right where they are. <laughs> Look at Joel 2, verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and will cause... Uh, and will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. This is something that's going to actually fall on the earth. It's going to happen in the tribulation. I should have marked it. Uh, somebody know it's, I believe it's Revelation 14, uh, where it actually happens. Um, we saw at the beginning of the book there was a major... Uh, shortage of everything, probably drought and locusts taking taking over. Um, maybe it's twelve. Yeah, twelve. I should have known that. All right. Somebody see a flood. All the way down there. Yes, verse 15. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as of as a flood after the woman, that it might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. That's probably the former and latter rain coming all at once, this water. Um, and I don't doubt that the devil's going to try to claim that he has the power to start and stop rain. That's one of the signs that was given. Uh, Elijah did that sign. So the devil's probably going to try to tell people he's harnessed that too. And here it's going to be the former and latter rain. It's going to come to the earth who's in bad need of it because the earth opens her mouth and swallows up the water. And that probably fits right where we're reading in Joel because now the earth comes back to life. And that'll be the prep for millennium. Uh, look at Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 17. Acts 2, 17. 2, 17 and it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So what a charismatic tells you is the former reign was Pentecost, was Acts chapter 2. They say that that was God pouring out his spirit, and that was the former reign. Okay, you're connecting some dots there that don't belong if that's the interpretation you use. And then they'll use the latter rain as anything they want. <laughs> Whatever's convenient. <laughs> but the problem is this. The Spirit wasn't poured out on all flesh in Acts 2. It was only poured out on those in the upper room, the twelve. Maybe 120 showed up, but I don't think they got the, the filling that the twelve did. Um, look at verse 38, Acts 2.38. Acts 
Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Okay, so there's where they get the Holy Spirit, but it's not poured out on all flesh. There was a prerequisite to it. There were some things they had to do in order to get it. That's not the fulfillment of Joel. Joel said, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to pour it out on all of them, whether they want it or not. <laughs> okay, uh, look at Romans 8. What happens is somebody who wants to prove this point as being God pouring out his spirit as the former rain or whatever rain they want to say, and you have the Holy Spirit, don't you? You do? Yeah. Well, did he pour it? He didn't pour it on me. <laughs> Romans 8, verse 9. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be, the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. That's not a fulfillment of what he said in Acts or in Joel. That was supposed to be poured on all flesh. What's God think of our flesh? It should be dead. And it's the Spirit that's alive. So that's not how we get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit goes inside, not on the outside. Um, and you can get more verses on it, but I'm going to move on. <laughs> Joel 2, Joel 2, verse 29. Joel 2, 29. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Okay, so how many servants do we have? Well, we don't have any servants in America, do we? <laughs> David says he's a servant. <laughs> Are, are, are you the handmaid? <laughs> yes, I think I was a servant for many years. too. <laughs> he says there he's going to pour out his spirit. And here it's going, he's, he's emphasizing this all flesh in that even the servants and the handmaids are going to get it. It's not that you qualify for it. It's not that you've accepted the Messiah and you get it. All these people get it. Nobody's lining up to say, uh, I want to, I'm repenting, and therefore there's nothing in here about repenting to get it. You just get it. Back to Acts. Well, you don't have to go to Acts. I'll just tell you, in Acts, you can look through there when you get home. There's no pillars of smoke. There's supposed to be pillars of smoke if it's the same fulfillment as Joel. In Joel, look at verse 30, two, chapter 2, verse 30. And I will show wonders in heaven and in earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Where was that in Acts 2? <laughs> if that's the fulfillment of it, then where was the blood? Was somebody getting killed where you didn't get told about? <laughs> and there's supposed to be a pillar of smoke and fire. That's obviously talking about the tribulation. That's the last days. And that's when that will happen. Joel 2, look at verse 10. The earth shall quake before them. Didn't happen in Acts 2. 
The heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, the stars shall withdraw their shining. <laughs> That's obviously tribulation. So this pouring out, this former and latter rain, is not in our age. It's not happened yet. Look at verse 31. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And that's probably real blood. Because didn't he turn the Nile, or didn't he turn the waters in Egypt to blood? That wasn't fake blood. It was real blood. So he's probably going to... He doesn't say as blood. He says blood. So it's going to be a scary time. Look at chapter 3, Joel 3, verse 15. The sun and the moon shall be dark. The stars shall withdraw their shining. <laughs> over and over, it's the events that are supposed to be happening in the tribulation. It cannot be what happened at Pentecost. That can't be the fulfillment of it. In a minute, we'll get to why they think it has to be. Uh, in Joel 2, look at verse 32. This is in a specific place. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Okay, so there he's saying that in Mount Zion, that specific place, Jerusalem, that's where they were. Pentecost, that's where it happened. However, nobody was needing deliverance from anything. There was not an army coming after them that they needed to be delivered from. There will be one day, but it hadn't happened yet. Uh, let's find it in the, uh, in the tribulation. It'll be Revelation 8. Revelation 8. Not 8. Revelation 11, verse 8. Getting a little dyslexic tonight. <laughs> Revelation 11, verse 8. This is Moses and Elijah, or I say that it's the two witnesses. Some people have a problem when I say it's Moses and Elijah. <laughs> I've identified them. Revelation 11:8, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. There's that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now there's where you would need some deliverance, isn't it? When that city becomes uh, such a turmoil that they're cutting off heads and killing people, then you need some deliverance. And then you're in the right spot for it to match up with Joel. But it didn't match up in Acts chapter 2. The other thing is in Joel, it cannot match Acts chapter 2 for one simple reason. Something spectacular happened in Acts chapter 2 that we better not count on ever happening again. <laughs> And that is they spoke in tongues. They spoke in different languages that they had not sat down to learn. God gave them the ability to speak those languages. We know it was not mumbo-jumbo because every man heard in their own tongue. They heard the language and they could decipher it. They understood it. So God just poured that out on them for a reason. Now, that, that's something special. doesn't happen in Joel. Joel doesn't ever talk about anybody speaking in tongues. So that can't be the fulfillment of it. Uh, look at Joel 2, verse 23. 
Joel 2, verse 23. What we've seen so far in Joel is I'm going to dump out a whole bunch of rain on you. <laughs> the trees, the you know, everything that grows is going to get happy now all of a sudden. <laughs> verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow the wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Now, that's not spiritual, that's physical. Remember, that's how the book started. Locusts are coming in and destroying it all. <laughs> and they did. He says, I'm going to restore to you what the locusts have eaten. Literally, he will restore them that. The canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which I sent amongst you. And then we explained how he segued from that point into an actual army that doesn't have anything to do with locusts. But he began with real locusts. Joel 2.14, remember this. When they were distraught about all of the, the devastation, they were looking around and they didn't have anything they could take to the temple. Verse 2, verse 14. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him? even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord our God. That was their hope. Their hope was if we get right, you know, after he's done destroying, maybe he'll give us some good. Now he's prophesying that's exactly what he's going to do. And that's what the tribulation is. He destroys and then he refurbishes. Joel 2 verse 26. Joel 2.26 And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath done wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. Now, he's set something up here so that we know it's not talking about our age because he says my people. We can stretch it. We can spiritualize it. But that's not what he's talking about. <laughs> We were not even a thought in the Old Testament here when he was giving this. My people was obvious, and there were people that were not his people. The only people that were considered God's people was a nation, Israel. And of that nation, God's people, some of them were rebellious, and he destroyed them immediately. <laughs> I mean, over and over you read about it. Just being God's people didn't mean you were secure by any means. It just meant God created that nation. Look at it in Psalm 14. Psalm 14, verse 4. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? Now, we covered it a little bit this morning. This is going to be absolutely literal. They're going to eat people. It's going to be cannibalism in the millennium, or in, not the millennium. <laughs> we better hope not. <laughs> in the tribulation. <laughs> but here, even in his day, the figurative part of it, they were destroying God's people, my people. Look at it in verse 7. Oh, that the salvation of, there's his people, Israel, or come out of Zion when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people. Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. That's who the Old Testament considers God's people. 
That's why when Jesus Christ shows up, he's out there preaching a sermon. He's not preaching to a bunch of saved people. He's not preaching to a bunch of people who are living according to the Old Testament dictates. And we just read it. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which are... In, there are a bunch of heathens out there. He's telling them to say, Our Father. Did they have a Father in heaven? In this sense, they did. In the Old Testament sense. God created that nation, and they were his children. Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah 12, verse 14. This is a wild thought. We know that God loves Israel as uh, the land. I'm not talking about the people. I mean, he does those too, but <laughs> the, the actual plot of ground over there, that, that's his favorite spot. And according to this verse, it looks like he lives there. Jeremiah 12, verse 14. Thus saith the Lord, against my evil neighbors, He's got neighbors. <laughs> According to this, he does. That touch the inheritance which I have caused my people, Israel, to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them out of their land and pluck out the houses of Judah from among them. <laughs> he said, I've got some neighbors, and I'm not liking them. They're picking on my people, and I helped them get this whole thing settled and divided up, and <laughs> I'm still over here. They're my neighbors. I'll bet you he's saying the same thing right now. <laughs> Israel's got some neighbors that are not too happy with them. <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem. That's not me. And joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be uh, no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. That's obviously Israel. I mean, there's just too many verses for me to list them all. Not really. I mean, I've got them listed here, but I'm not going to give them to you. <laughs> you can give them if you want the notes. Um, <clears throat> but it just goes on and on. You'll notice it as you start going through your Bible. As you read through, you'll start noticing when he says my people, it's a reference to Israel the nation, uh, and he has a special relationship with them. Joel 2, look at verse 27. Joel 2, verse 27. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. Now, that's something that's going to happen just like it says. He's going to show up and he's going to be in Israel. He's already done it once. Well, many times, but physically, as Jesus Christ, he showed up in Israel. This time around, they're going to know who he is. <laughs> and they're going to be happy about it. He says his people won't be ashamed at that point. They were ashamed of him the first time he came. and it won't be like that the second time. Look at it in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 39. Ezekiel 39, 
Then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused, past tense, them to be led into captivity among the heathen. Okay, that's obviously talking to Israel, because if it was talking to the heathen, the heathen can't be led into captivity by the heathen. They are heathen. <laughs> so it's somebody who's not heathen, who was led by the heathen. Okay. But I have gathered, uh, I have gathered them unto their own land, and have left none of them, and have left none of them any more there. Verse twenty-nine. Neither will this is future. I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. That's all prophecy of what he's going to do. We saw it in Joel. He's going to pour out his spirit. Well, I don't know if I gave you that verse yet, but he's going to pour out his spirit. It's not the rain. The rain's going to happen physically. And one day, the pouring out of the spirit is going to happen. Look at it in Isaiah. Isaiah 54. God, um, from our viewpoint, God exaggerates sometimes. <laughs> Look at this one. Isaiah 54, verse 8. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting kindness I have, had, I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. That's tribulation. That's what he's talking about right there. And he said it was a little wrath. <laughs> now, if you don't believe that's what he's talking about notice the comparison verse 9 for this is as the waters of Noah that was a little wrath too <laughs> dunk the whole earth he said it was a little wrath I don't want to see a lot of wrath <laughs> unto me for as I have sworn the wa uh, that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth so have I sworn that I uh, would not be wroth with thee nor rebuke thee for the mountains shall depart and the hills shall be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that uh, hath mercy on thee. Okay, that's all going to happen one day. That's all future. Here it is, Acts 2.17, and notice the time stamp he puts on it. Acts 2.17. This phrase is thrown around a lot to mean a lot of things. I think it really only means one thing. Acts 2.17 And it shall come to pass in the last days. Okay, so it's days. It doesn't qualify how many days he's talking about. Last days. I don't think that's church age because there's another dispensation, another age that comes after the church. I think we're in the last days of the church age, but not the last days of this earth before millennium. And that's what he's talking about here, in the last days. The church has not begun in this passage. In Acts 2, there's no church age. Here's how you know that. 2 Corinthians 15 Second Corinthians, no. Is it second or first? First Corinthians 15, I think, is where I want to go. Yeah, it's First Corinthians 15. You can tell I haven't had my second coffee. 
Corinthians 15, verse 3. Here's what the gospel is for the church age. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. First point of the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Okay, in Acts chapter 2, we find out about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He talks about it being prophesied from the Old Testament. So, he's teaching in Acts chapter 2 the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he's not teaching this. He's not saying he did it for your sins. Now, that's a difference. When Paul comes along, he says, why it happened that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians three fourteen. Galatians three fourteen. This is something completely different than you found in Acts chapter two. This is how you get the Holy Spirit. Galatians three fourteen. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. That's me. <laughs> through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promises of the Spirit through faith. That's all it takes for us. We just believe. Faith does it. That's not what he was preaching in Acts 2. Repent and get down here and get baptized and you'll get the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not really what he meant either. He meant one day you'll get it. Now they did get it. I think God gave it to them. But that was not what he had promised them. He says, you shall, that's an indefinite time, receive. Let me make it clear to you. Acts chapter 3. verse 19. Almost the same message as Acts 2. little different details. Verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Okay, now we're talking about sins, but it's not like ours. When the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That is, somebody doesn't get their sins blotted out until Jesus comes back. Keep reading. He makes it even more clear. Verse 20. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophet since the world began. The advent. Somebody's waiting for the advent to happen before they get their sins blotted out. That's not my salvation. I don't want to wait on all that. I might mess up. <laughs> we got a great salvation, a whole lot better than that. But Joel is linking this right here. Now, it's not the tongues is not part of it because it doesn't appear in Joel. But the rest of it is talking about the end days. And that's what Peter was doing. Peter was not getting up saying, um, this speaking in tongues 
happened so that you would know that you know God's coming back right now. He says, no, let me preach you something that Joel preached a long time ago. And then he goes into it. He's doing the same thing I didn't, I'm doing tonight. <laughs> back to Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Joel 2, verse 28. Joel 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterwards. And that's after the Armageddon that we've already seen. After all the bad stuff he's talked about. This is when this happens. In the millennium, after he's poured his spirit on all flesh. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters and uh, shall prophesy and your young men shall dream dreams. Young men shall see visions. Didn't happen in Acts. If it did, nobody told us about it. Because nobody talks about, I had a dream last night, you know, Martin Luther wasn't born yet. Uh, <laughs> nobody talked about a dream. Nobody talked about visions. The only sign we saw was tongues. And they were a known language. Verse 29. And also upon the servants, upon the handmaids in those days, will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in heaven and in the earth, fire, smoke, so forth, so on. We read it all. <laughs> Verse 29. Let's zoom in on something. He says he's pouring it out on your handmaids in those days. So there's some set of days that man's supposed to know about when this is going to happen. He didn't say at an undisclosed time God's going to do this. No, it's a specific time. Those days. You know the ones I'm talking about. <laughs> and Israel did. It keeps repeating all through the Bible. Look at uh, Joel 3 verse 1. Joel 3 verse 1. For behold, in those days. There it is again. And at that time, verse 2. I will also gather all nations and will bring them down unto the valley of Jehoshaphat. You know what's going on there? That's Armageddon. He's going to destroy all the other nations. He's, um, he's pleading with them. He, he's peeling them. Is what he, <laughs> he's plead, that's how he says it. I'm pleading with them. But he's destroying them. Armageddon. Look at Zechariah 12. Zechariah 12. Zechariah 12, verse 10. Here's when Acts is fulfilled about the pouring out and Joel's comment on it. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour out upon the house of David, that's just Jewish, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, maybe proselytes in there, the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Hmm. That's got to be in the tribulation, the end of the tribulation, probably Armageddon. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So they're going to see him. Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, verse 13. Now here's how he pours out his spirit. You know how we learn about God. We learn about it by however dedicated we are to 
studying. It's up to us. He's not going to force us to. <laughs> and some people think that you can just dream it up, but that doesn't work either. <laughs> doesn't work that way. You got to get in the Bible and you got to study and you got to make some mistakes and then you know get back up off the ground, <laughs> brush yourself off. That's just the way we do it. Not so in the tribulation. Look at it. Isaiah fifty four thirteen. Not tribulation millennium. <laughs> fifty four thirteen. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Not taught about the Lord. The Lord is the teacher. Now that would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, I like that. You know when he was here on earth the first time? He loved children. He said, let them come. Don't forbid them. In the millennium, that's going to be... Uh, we would go to the park and walk, or we'd go fishing. Or so. That's his pastime. He's going to go out and teach the children. <laughs> Good stuff. Ezekiel 39. Ezekiel 39, 29. We may have covered this verse. I don't know. Ezekiel 39, 29. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. So it's always Jewish. It's always a Jewish reference when he's talking about this pouring out. It was Jewish in Acts chapter 2. But then we can't claim it. We didn't replace Israel. And so I can't claim that I got part of that at Pentecost. Pentecost wasn't my dispensation anyway. But <laughs> Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews 8. There's something that the Jews were looking for. They couldn't wait for something to happen. It was more than just inheriting the earth. They knew with that inheritance also came sinless perfection. Imagine that. He was going to write his law in their mind. And he was going to change their heart. That would be a good deal. So no wonder they wanted the kingdom to come. Because that's what was going to come with it. He had a phrase that he keeps using, and you'll see it as you go through your Bible, a covenant. He doesn't have a covenant with me. Now, okay, you can stretch it and say he's made a promise. Okay, whatever you want to do. There's some covenants that we know that we can nail down in black and white that he's made with Israel. Israel is out. They're in time out right now. That covenant, they broke. And so he says, I'm going to make you a new covenant. That's what the millennium is. It can't be to me because he didn't make an old covenant with me. He'd have to make an old covenant if I was to get a new covenant. So that one doesn't work for me, but it does for Israel. Hebrews 8, verse 10. Hebrews 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, in our phrase, after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. There it is. There's that, that's exactly what Israel was wanting. No wonder the disciple says in Acts chapter 1, Wilt thou again at this time restore Israel, the, the kingdom? 
you know, they're looking for a kingdom. Oh, please, is it time yet? <laughs> he said, just shut up and don't worry about it. <laughs> Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 17. He says, And it shall come to pass in the last days. That's that set of days. In that specific time frame, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. Now we're connecting the dot from Joel. I don't know when to tell you this. Let's, let's go there. Acts 2. Uh, um, I really didn't intend to teach the whole book of Acts, but <laughs> you kind of got to. Um, look at... Uh, Look at verse, um, let's start in verse 14. Acts 2.14. Now go back to verse 12. <laughs> verse 12. Here's what's happened. They've spoken in tongues. Verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. They've been drinking too much grape juice. <laughs> So Peter goes along with the joke. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, just like a lot of, I don't, I'm, I don't do this, but a lot of people try to tell you a joke and you know get the audience warmed up. and all. That's what Peter's doing. He says, You men of Judah and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. He said, it's, it's not happy hour yet. They can't be drunk. Well, he, he's playing along with it. You can't be drunk on new wine anyway. It's grape juice. So he's just, he just getting them lightened up. And then verse 16. Now remember, in their mind, they're still amazed that they all heard this speaking in their language. Verse 16. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Uh-oh. So here's what happens. People say, he must mean the speaking in tongues is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Because that's what they were amazed about. But it can't be because Joel didn't talk about anybody speaking in tongues. <laughs> so that's not the answer. All he's doing is he's standing up there, and he, I don't know if he had a written Bible or not, but he's turning to it, and he's saying, let me tell you something Joel had to say. <laughs> That's how he begins his sermon. This is that which was spoken by Joel. We saw the same thing in Psalms uh, 119 this morning, where it says this, and then you've got to go down before you connect what this is talking about. That's what he's doing here. Okay. Um, and I don't have time to give you all the new covenant. Um, um, I'll give. I'll just tell you what they are. Hebrews eight verse eight. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So that's who gets the new covenant. It's not Christians. It's not saved people. It's the house of Israel and Judah. They get a new covenant. They had an old one, so of course they need a new one. 
Hebrews 8, 9 to 12 uh, explains it. I'm not going to read it to you. Joel 31, 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It's been prophesied from the Old Testament a long time ago. Isaiah 54, 13, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. That's God actually doing something new, like the new covenant that he's talking about. Uh, Zechariah 13, 3, Jeremiah 31, 33, 34, Jeremiah 32, 37 to 42, uh, Romans 11.25, here's a good one, Romans 11.25, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit. The blindness in part has happened to Israel. So now we know who we're talking about. They're blind. Uh, they don't understand something. Blindness in part has happened to Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentile become in. Okay, so we do understand something. They don't. And that's true. Second Corinthians chapter 1 or 2. He says that there's a veil on them right now, and they don't understand things, and, you know, we don't understand it. So they're, they're blind in part. Verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved. What? Well, after the fullness of the Gentiles, we who have the understanding, we're not in blindness, after we're complete, our dispensation is over, then something happens. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come a deliverer out of Zion, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. So that's when he puts out the new covenant. After we're gone, now he didn't mention tribulation, but we know that happens. After the tribulation, then he makes a new covenant with them. Uh, Zechariah 8.8 8. Then I will bring them and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Now, they're not... The ones who are in Jerusalem right now, the ones who are in Israel, they're not in Israel worshiping God as the God of truth and righteousness for them. Most of them are not... Um, there's very few of them that are even dedicated to Judaism over there. There's, they're, uh, they're just as messed up as America is, religion-wise. But there's coming a day that that's going to be the high point for the worshipers of Jesus Christ. And, but it ain't now. Um, there's just too many um, look at Psalms. Psalms. Psalms will be simple. Psalms 102, verse 28. Psalms 102, verse 28. Psalms 102, verse 28. The children of thy servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before thee. We think nothing of that verse except for when you think about who he's talking about. He's talking about Israel. Israel has... <laughs> they've not been able to stay anywhere. Every country that's led to, <clears throat> it's just a matter of time before they turn anti-Semitic and they have to flee again. Here he's saying just the opposite. Your children and your servants are going to continue and their seed's going to be established. Hadn't happened yet. One day it will. Look at verse 12. 102 verse 12. But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever. 
and thy remembrance unto all generations. Thou, <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's going by the wayside right now. Um, we live in a very anti... I can understand how Judges happened, the book of Judges. Because people just don't have any biblical knowledge anymore. It's gone. The millennial generation doesn't care. And the one that will come after them, they're going to be hopeless. He says, verse 14, For thy servants take pleasure in her stones and uh, favor the dust thereof. Talking about the land. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. <laughs> As obviously millennium <laughs> hasn't happened and you can't spiritualize it because even spiritualizing it, it doesn't work. Hadn't happened yet. Psalm 102, look at verse 5. Here's tribulation. By reason of the voice of my groanings, my bones cleave to my flat, my skin. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. And they are going to be. Could you imagine not being able to buy or sell? How are you going to feed yourself? And it's not just as simple as just go do some farming. If somebody sees you, Hitler was bad. And you know the Jews had to run and try to hide in closets and under houses and stuff like that. But don't you think the Antichrist is going to be ten times worse than that? He will be. So for them, just eating is a major chore, being able to. So he says they're going to be like deserts, uh, owls of the desert. Um, here's the other thing you'll find. In the book of James, you see things kind of switch. In the Old Testament, if you were right with God, you were wealthy. However, because that's what he had promised them. If you do right, then I'll give you plenty and you'll live long. And You know, be uh, Benjamin Franklin's motto, healthy, wealthy, and wise, early to bread and get up in the morning, <laughs> early to bed and early to rise. Makes man healthy, wealthy, and wise. That was kind of Israel's setup in the Old Testament. However, in the New Testament, in the book of James, he switches it on you. He says, rich men are your downfall. And it's the poor man that God's going to look to and help. And all. That's talking about the tribulation. In the tribulation, if you're right with God as a Jew, you can't help but be poor and be starving and hungry. Because you can't get any money. You can't go get the mark and you can't do anything. Um, and uh, we probably better... Uh, yeah, we better stop it there. I, yeah, You can get the notes if you want the rest of... That's just a list of verses I've collected over the years on what the new covenant is. You can do that yourself. As you go through the Bible, just notice it. When he says covenant, just start looking at it. Is he talking about something that's already happened? Uh, is he talking about something that's going to happen? Now, just because it's already happened, did it happen completely as it's stated? Sometimes he'll give you a, uh, a two-meaning. He'll say this happened and part of it happened, but then some of it didn't happen exactly like he said. So then he's telling you, hey, there's more in the future, and this is the way it's going to be fulfilled. All right, that'll do it for tonight.